This podcast is sponsored by NHS Lancashire and South Cumbria Integrated Care Board and Beacon Counselling Trust, promoting an open discussion about gambling-related harm and the destruction it can cause. If you're affected by anything you hear and would like to reach out, visit beaconcounsellingtrust.co.uk. Let's keep talking. Hello and welcome to Football Untold, the podcast that explores the darker side of the beautiful game. And for the final episode of Series 1, we've got a live audience with us. Now, I did think Sai, Simon Howard's with us, getting into the first series. We got a bit cocky by booking a venue for a live audience, but, you know, we're okay. The stories are out there. People are responding really well. Yeah, you can see with the numbers here, Mick, that we've got a um, good response to it. Brilliant. Um, Clark Carlisle is with us as well. Clark, has been a pleasure spending some more time with you uh, in terms of sharing your story. And actually, the thing that struck me about this series is that each and every individual story... Of course, we're talking about problem gambling and gambling-related harm. But every story's different. The themes are different. The reasons are different. The inlets are different. The way out is different as well. And I, I think that's a good example of the fact that this is what we want to get out there, to, to share this story and share these stories so that people can find their version of their journey that takes them to a better place. Exactly that, Mick. That, that's exactly why it's so important because oftentimes we, we'll have discussions let's say in the media uh, or at events about the solution to gambling there is no single strand fix that's going to help society around this because everyone comes from different lived experiences because everyone comes from different levels and types of interaction with gambling in its different guises so it's so important to get as many stories out there so that if there's anyone listening who does have an issue that can find some resonance and a semblance of hope and future steps. We talked in episode five about the stigma that comes with talking about uh, addiction. For people who've not heard that one, they can check that out in the podcast feed. Really fascinating insight with Stephen Colker obviously involved in that, his story in episode four. Today I want to widen things out a little bit as well because of course you guys are footballers. There's a lot of conversation around the amount of gambling which exists around football. And if we're going to talk about lads within dressing rooms in particular and their issues around gambling. We have to also talk about the fact that some of their stadiums will be named after gambling companies and some of them will be running around with gambling names on their shirts, uh, certainly for a period of time with uh, an announcement from the Premier League uh, in the last week or so. This is all part of the story, isn't it, that we've got to tap into when we talk about problem gambling within football. Football's relationship with gambling side, which at the moment appears to be uh, from the gambling company's point of view, a very healthy one, sponsorship of the EFL, for, any, uh, for example. Yeah, I think it's, it's glamorised quite a bit. That's, that's the problem. Um, footballers see it as, as normal to bet, and that's because it's all around them in advertising and everything else. I think they're making some steps with the, the shirts being removed. I've seen today uh, the Dutch League uh, from 2025, no sponsorship in football. So there's plenty more that can be done. Um, we have to keep raising that awareness, but the advertising's a, a whole new sort of can of worms to be opened, if you like. It's, it, it's a much bigger issue. But removing the sponsorship of the shirt is a great start, I think. Um, but it's such a, such a big industry and there's so much money involved and people benefiting from that. It might take a bit longer. I guess it's, it's originally a bit like the tobacco industry. It'll take a long time, I think, to turn it. In terms of that, who are a football club to say to a player, you're not allowed to go into that casino, when the casino might actually be in the stadium it might be <laughs> you know on the concourse uh, they might be sponsored by 
that casino or, or something very similar? It, we, these are really important issues because it, it highlights how nuanced this, this issue is. Now, if you're talking about gambling companies sponsoring football clubs, we can't castigate football clubs for them being so high profile that a company wants to pay them tens of millions of pounds to be associated with them. You know, they have to get their income somewhere. But that being said, football clubs have to understand that their brand is so influential that they're not just being associated with the company. What they're doing is actually promoting that company to especially a young audience. You know, Premier League, 600 million viewers every week worldwide. So we can safely say there's going to be at least tens of millions of young people who are seeing this brand being associated with a club that they love and adore. Now, they might not have the ability to gamble at that point in time, but three, four, five years down the line, when they do have the capacity to gamble, they have been conditioned that this is a good company to be aligned with. You know, and the science tells us, um, you know, all the academic studies that visibility is key to engagement. So even though we do want to address a societal issue, and we know that football clubs are uh, incredibly influential in, in, in the audience that, that they influence, what we have to draw the line at is where is a football club's responsibility? Because we're talking about the actions of individuals. And where I stand on this is taking the sponsors off the front of the shirt is fantastic. You know, removing that gives less exposure to young people. But I understand that football clubs are businesses. So if they're going to take the gambling industry money, then I think they've got to balance that with ensuring that they are providing education in the local community to the younger generation that informs them of the, the consequences of engaging with gambling. And if they're not doing it directly, then they should show receipts you know, of their endorsement of local community education plans. There are some messages around uh, visiting uh, support websites and when the fun stop stops is the one that people will remember. But in terms of balancing what you've just described there, the stadiums and the shirt sponsors, there's very little within the game that offers that alternative. Um, we're obviously trying to do our bit, Si, with, with Football Untold to, to sort of offer the footballer's perspective on this and the experience of footballers. But you don't hear those negative stories around that industry. And we know that those stories are absolutely out there. Yeah, I think it's why we're doing this. And this is when we had the chat about coming together. It's about education, all of it. And as you said, you know, the, the football clubs have a responsibility, you know, to, to, to send that message on. And, and as Clark said, it's, it's, a, it's a big business and there's a lot of money being pumped into that. And where, where do you sit? Whose responsibility is it to educate? But there needs to be an education. As you said, you only ever see the best side of it. And I think, you know, we talk about when the fun stops, stop. And it's not enough. Them kind of messages aren't enough. There needs to be a better education. And as Clark says, a lot earlier, because these, these young boys and girls are seeing it as a, as a normal pathway. And, it, and it's seen as just acceptable to go and open online accounts and, you know, have, have gambling problems and, and, and bet that freely. And it's accepted. It's, it's almost... Glamorise is a hard word to use and maybe not, but it, in terms of making it just acceptable and, um, you know, what everybody does, everybody has a bet. That, 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 the people I talk to, um, when I've 
done some managing and coaching a lot of young lads that I come across you know, just you just you have a bet it's it's seen too for me it's seen as too much of a norm um, without realizing what what constitutes a problem yeah I mean and there is a difference between the glamorization and the normalization I think you touched on it there didn't you Clark around it is the norm that you see these names you recognize these brands and you know the same the same was with you know smoking and, and snooker in the 1980s and a decision was taken on that people still smoke people smoke then um and people still smoke now um where, where's that line between we need to take some action here and people are free to do what they want and how they want it's it's a really good point a really good question and it's not for a football club to set, to set or establish the boundaries for any individual's autonomy and their choices in what they do. But it is for us as a wider society to understand the implications of when a certain action goes wrong. And smoking is the greatest example because they took it away, the advertising away from Formula One, from snooker, from cricket. And people say, well, what impact did that have? Well, we don't know in the immediate term. But what we know now, two decades later, is uh, I've got I have five children. The uh, 24-year-old, 15-year-old, and 13-year-old are, are relevant to this conversation because they, um, my 24-year-old used to smoke but doesn't now she vapes. My 15-year-old has no interest in smoking but occasionally vapes with his friends, and my 13-year-old has no interest in either. Now, you know, I came from a society and a community where it was common for kids to be smoking 11, 12 years of age. You know, so I can see that there has been some impact, but it wasn't on its own, Mick. And that's what we need to understand is that, yeah, we took the visibility of the brands away, but it happened in tandem with kids being taught in school that this is what happens when you smoke, these are the physical effects that you'll feel, and these are the potential future harms. So... You know, given that information, kids now are making a far more informed choice on whether they engage with vaping and they've been given a healthier alternative. So what this step with, with gambling is doing in football, it's step one of a three-step process. You know, they, they, we're taking the visibility of the brands away. That needs to be married with education at a high school age of what people get from gambling and the potential consequences of that, both practical and psychological and emotional. And then they need to be offered an alternative that isn't so harmful. I think it was interesting. I listened to Stephen Colker in, in episode four of the podcast. He talked about the fact, you know what, if someone had sat down with him at 15 and gone, don't do this, he'd have gone, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but at the same time, if at the age of 25, he thought, actually, this is now a problem for me. And I remember this conversation when I was 15, or I remember the advice. That's maybe where the gap is at the moment, isn't it? That even if you don't take the advice, at least you've learned what that advice might be and how you might adapt it to yourself in the future. That's exactly it. It's about sowing the seed, isn't it? If you sow the seed, then hopefully the situation will arise where, where that seed will have an opportunity to grow. And again, using that parallel with, with, with smoking, the difference between smoking and gambling is when your smoking becomes a problem, it manifests a physical problem and you automatically go to the doctors for it. When gambling presents a problem, it, it poses a behavioural problem. 
that's given you financial implications in your life. So you're not going to naturally go to your doctor. You're going to think, oh, I've been bad. I've been naughty. I'm doing something wrong. And I don't know how to deal with it without confessing to someone that I've been doing something wrong. So, you know, it, it almost compounds its own level of secrecy. And while you're in that space, um, you, it's very, very unlikely that you're going to reach out to anyone, let alone the place where you need to reach out to. So what we need to do, I believe, in, in tandem with reducing the visibility of the brands that, that actually enable people to, to gamble, we need to raise the visibility and uh, raise people's understanding of what support networks look like and how they can get in touch with them and when they should get in touch with them. Um, one of the really interesting insights in terms of the work that you guys have done and, and being part of this has been so insightful is you give us an insight into the culture within dressing rooms mm -hmm. and each of you recognizing behaviors now and you've both spoken about the fact as older uh, we say veterans in football don't we? as veterans because <laughs> he's over the age of 32 um, <laughs> as you become veterans you are able to then take on that sort of a big brother position and spot signs in young people can i ask you a question so i don't know if you know the answers do you think there might be a problem gambler in most dressing rooms up and down the country, in, in football clubs on a match day, maybe there's two teams in, in the dressing rooms. Do you think there might be one problem gambler in I, that space? Yeah, I'd say there's one in every dressing room. Yeah, completely. I think it's, it, it's a big problem, and we talked about on my episode about how I started putting bets on as an apprentice for the first team players, and mm -hmm. even then in the mid-90s, it was a kind of glamour. I wanted to be there, my seeing them driving their BMW, spending their afternoons, snooker halls, betting, and that, that was the culture. That's changed now, but I still think... I still think there's a glamorisation, so there's a, there's a togetherness, the lads, that kind of changing room, you know, sort of environment. And I, yeah, I was going to say I'd bet then, but I won't bet. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be certain that every changing room would have a, a problem gambler. We, we need to try and raise the education and awareness so they know when the right time is to, to get help and find a safe space to speak, you know, to speak out, rather than getting to the end of that journey where everything's falling apart around them. Of the 92? Mm -hmm. Is there a problem gambler potentially in every dressing room? Uh, statistically, I think that that would pan out. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the reason why the, the whole aspect of gambling perpetuates itself within a footballing culture is you come into a club as a 16, 17, 18 to 18 year old and you see the senior players who have the card school, who, who, who are, you know, maybe going to a casino on a Saturday night after a game. And these are the people who you want to be. So you emulate their behaviours without understanding that the majority of them are choosing those behaviours after they've, they've established their career. Does that make sense? So they've put in the hard yards, et cetera, et cetera, and they've come to a point where these are the behaviours that they've chosen. But young lads wanting to be that person, they're copying everything that they do. That's why you see academy lads with Louis Vuitton wash bags and wanting to get a BMW. They haven't earned that yet, but they're trying to emulate and be the senior players. And, and that, that happens in all yeah. areas, doesn't it? So, you know, on their downtime, they want to join in the card school at the back of the bus because they want to be accepted within the group and they want to emulate their senior players. And that's why it perpetuates itself. So you, you, you talked about the fact that so you did that as well because you you were yeah. the guy trying to trying to impress the senior pros with a few you know tips on the, on the horses and then you became the senior yeah. pro. Do you want to tell the story? Subconsciously, again? I did the same. So I was the 
I was the apprentice putting bets on for a player at Cardiff, running down to the Ninian Park pub, putting the bets on, coming back. If it won, I was getting looked after. At the time, I was on £27 a week. So somebody giving me £50, £60 for putting a bet on for him was great. And as Clark said, you, you emulated them. You wanted the, to be them. You've seen what they did on a Saturday night. You've seen where they went after training, what car they drove. And betting was part of that culture. Um, but then subconsciously, when I, when I moved to clubs as a, as a pro, a more um, seasoned professional, if you like, I'd often be told by the physio, take the, take the injured lads up to the, the apprentices, up to the training ground or the gym or wherever we were going because I was driving a car. And sometimes in winter, if the racing started at 11, I'd say, let's just nip in Ladbrokes and have a bet. And I was then saying to them, I was almost encouraging them, here's £20, you have a bet. Because I'd just still seen it in that fun aspect. I was unaware I was doing that to them. I was unaware that I was being sort of um, groomed, if you like, by someone else. And I'm sure the players at Cardiff would have done that, would hate to think that I'd got a gambling problem from that. And I'd hate to think that, if, you know, I've passed that on. But it was all done just in that, you know, that football mentality changing rooms, just wanting to be accepted, wanting to be one of the lads. And the, and the same as a seasoned professional. You wanted the apprentices to like you. Mm. It's coming back, me and Clark always talk about affirmations. We want to be the best at doing this. We said in one of the episodes, you always want that praise and football compounds that. And, you know, I was the same. I wanted to be the guy to give out a good tip for the boots that were being cleaned. So, um, yeah, I, I passed that on totally unaware what I was doing. But I look back now and I think, you know, geez, maybe I played a part in someone else's problem. When we talk about, and there have been some high-profile footballers who've spoken about their gambling problems or, have, or whose gambling issues have been exposed or they've faced uh, repercussions from them from charges from the FA. I'm not going to mention names at this stage. But each of those are, if you think about how those stories are reported, each of those people are demonised as they've been caught doing this, they placed this number of bets over this number of matches. Naturally, in terms of how that's reported and how it's played out to the media, I would say is Naughty Boy did a bad thing. It's never reported as maybe this is a big moment that signposts the fact there's a young individual there who might have an issue that somebody needs to ask some questions about. We don't have that conversation at all. We have the naughty boy, see you in six months conversation, don't we? Yeah, and we see it all the time. Players get um, fined, suspended. You know, what use is fining a player on £40,000 a week? He's got a problem. It's a mental health problem. It's, a, it, it's an illness, if you like. Get him the help rather than just, as you said, the naughty boy kind of syndrome. And that's what stops players speaking out as well. Clark mentioned it in his episode about, you know, players thinking, you know, I've done something wrong, I'm naughty, who can I speak to? Can't speak to anyone around me. Um, and that's what happens with it. But I'd like to see any players that do get caught for, for gambling problems, let's educate them, let's put them in rehabilitation. Let's see as we're doing something proactive to helping the individual rather than a fine and a suspension, because I don't think it serves any purpose. Yeah, the, the, the way that we look at, at problem gambling uh, is the same way we look at problem drinking or problem, problem drug taking or whatever it is, is we look at the action and we judge the action. Um, and it, it's, it's only when someone takes their own life that we're sympathetic to the troubles that they were going through. We're, we're sympathetic to their presenting symptoms. So what we need to start to address as a society and what we need to encourage people to understand themselves is for the most part, the action that you partake in is utterly irrelevant. 
It's the motivation, it's the reasons why you're doing it. That's what we need to understand and address. So it, when you're saying about the media reporting on someone getting caught doing this, that and the other, well, it's a breach of rules, isn't it? So they have broken a rule, they have been a bit naughty because <laughs> you're not supposed to gamble on football. That, that's, that's top line. But if it's presented as um, someone's experiencing a mental health issue, would that sell their papers or would that get them hits on their website? If it was presented as, as someone is in need of support and the, and the club is supporting it, would it serve the, the purpose of the reporting journalist? So the, when we're trying to influence and, and implement change when we're talking about these issues, if it continues to be reported in the same way that someone's been naughty, that that's going to be sensationalised publicly, then how can we expect anyone who's going through current difficulties to reach out see, and talk see, for about me, and, it? And, and I'm speaking as a non-professional footballer, believe it or not. Um, but I would say the message is don't get caught. <laughs> I wonder whether the message is don't get caught because otherwise you will get this heat. And you. And I wonder whether or not actually if it was this player has been fined and as part of this X, Y or Z and it's the support that kicks in and it was more aware, you would actually then create a pathway for players who were maybe thinking this is me this but I'm not at the point where I'm getting caught and, 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 and breaching the rules but actually I'm, on, I'm finding myself in these difficult situations and this I could be the next one that any player who's thinking I could be the next one has got to have a pathway out at that point they can't just be waiting until they're the ones who've been flashed all over the TV as the one who've been caught out I totally agree and that's why the the establishment of of support mechanisms that aren't just reactive you know people only get support in the industry now when either they've been in court or they're in crisis we need to have these support systems that are in place, that are ongoing on a daily basis to um, educate and offer that early signposting and prevention. That way, players see into someone interacting with this support structure and their immediate thought isn't, oh my gosh, they must be struggling or they're in trouble. You know, it can be seen as a, uh, what do you call it in, in the corporate space? continual professional development CPD you know so they see the interaction with these mental health and and behavioral support structures as someone getting um, support for that for their career just like if they were going and doing an extra Pilates or, or stretching session on the side they're not doing that because they're physically unfit they're doing it because they want to actually underpin the continuing physical fitness does that make sense? I think it does. So actually you could have, oh, I'm doing a CP. CPD. CP, I've got a CPD session today. Mm -hmm. Now, it, it, no, no, one, no professional would go, oh, what's, you know, you, you shouldn't be doing that. They go, all right, that sounds Exactly. Like if you said I'm going to do an extra session, like, what is it? Oh, it's some sprint work, you know, with a sprint coach. I would be like, oh, right, yeah. that's cool. If you said I'm going to do an extra session, what is it? Oh, I've got a therapy session, actually, you know, about my emotional responses. People are like, ooh, right. What's, well, you know, what's wrong with you? What, what's going on? Uh, uh, and but that within a normalised setting, senior players are doing it, managers doing it, coaches doing it. That's the game changer, isn't it? Uh, not just everyone's doing it, but they're expected to do it. Where you're actually called out if you're not engaging with these. I think it should be part of a player's schedule. This podcast is sponsored by NHS Lancashire and South Cumbria Integrated Care Board and Beacon Counselling Trust. If you'd like to reach out, visit beaconcounselingtrust.co.uk. 
Uh, si, as part of the, the series, we, we've got to touch on this because it's an important part that some people might say, well, these guys are footballers, so they got loads of money. So actually, how can I relate to them? Because ultimately, they're rolling in the cash. So um, how can they relate to the situation I find themselves in? Equally, some people might say, oh, we talked about losing X amount of thousand pounds. I've never lost that much, so therefore I don't have a problem. There's a bit of a bridge here we've got to cross with football untold, but it's an important one to cross. How do, how do we sort of level that uh, to make sure that when people hear about this, they can relate it to their own experience? I think we've been quite conscious in, in all the episodes to make sure that it's it's the emotional side of the journey as well. Sam speaks a lot about it's not just putting the finances right, it's what's taking you to that place. Um, when I spoke to someone just recently, which which I mentioned to you, Mick, about he didn't think he had a problem because he did, he'd heard a lived experience story of somebody losing, let's say, £100,000. He might have been losing ten, so I don't have a problem. So he was trying to quantify that against the numbers. So we're, we're consciously not talking about figures. I mean... If you, if you go to GA, which I attend every week, you're not allowed. We don't talk figures. And, and for that reason, because we're looking at the problem and how to help with the problem rather than the, 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 the almost car crash, sensationalised stories. Um, and I think we've been conscious of that. But we've, we've had different guests to try and cover that story so it's not just wham, bam, someone's lost 50,000 in an afternoon. There's far more to that, and we want the listeners to relate to everyone's emotional side, the people that it affects within family and friends, and we're trying to cover every aspect of, of how a gambling you know, addiction can affect people. So we're not big on talking about figures, and I think anything that we do, I'm sure Clark's the same, and I like to see people talking about gambling and problem gambling and addiction without the figures, because I think it can, it can lead to people thinking... I don't have a problem because mine's £200 a month. But, it, but to them, it's relatively a problem. Exactly. It's all about relativity. You know, a footballer losing 100 grand um, can be, to a Premier League footballer, can be an inconvenience. But someone who's unemployed losing £100 might be really consequential and catastrophic so the amount is irrelevant uh, what, what the point that I like to when people are asking if they've got a problem I, I like to ask them like well have you gone have you crossed that bridge where it's gone from I would like to win some money that would be nice and it's crossed the bridge to now I have to win some money because once you've crossed that bridge, the dynamic of your interaction with any gambling is going to be dysfunctional. You know, and I know they say when the fun stops, stops. But it, it need, you need to be conscious of your interaction before you get to that point. Because once your motivation becomes, I need to win, then the practical consequences in your life are going, are, are, are going to be consequential. If there was more education about it, actually just that, that phrase, which you've put, put out there really simply, is actually a really, really good one to learn, isn't it? it would, you bet on the ground, it would be nice to win. Mm -hmm. But that, that, that's a marked change, isn't it, to I need to win. And that doesn't matter if you're a millionaire, a billionaire, or you're unemployed or you've got a low income or, or whatever it is. I think that's really interesting. And actually the other thing is, and again, speaking as a non-faultable, but you touched on it, and, and, and expressed it really well, Clark, in your episode, talking about the fact that actually that opportunity to earn money as a footballer mm -hmm. is finite, and you're only ever one contract away from the, 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 the mega books becoming the okay books, becoming the books, becoming the part-time, becoming the zero. It's a short career at the same time, and if you don't catch things at the right time in terms of where your problems sit, you can find yourself at the end of it with nothing to show for the previous 
14, 15, 16 years of, of earnings? Uh, financially, yeah. Um, it's interesting, you know, t talking about that, that the, the change in income and the finite in career because football both feeds um, the growth of a gambling habit because you, you have a, a bad gambling day or night, you're only ever skint for a maximum of a month because that money's coming in again and it, you know, it gives you the opportunity. But then, like you said, when the career ends or when you start to drop down the clubs, you've already established your kind of gambling parameters. You know, your behaviour is, is ingrained in, in the size of bet that you used to make in, in the frequency of bet that you used to make in. Um, and then all of a sudden, your ability to actually fund that drops off the end of a, end of a cliff. And that in and of itself can be one of the psychological aspects that forces you to gamble more. Because my contract's gone down inside, in size, because our mortgage payment is this high, it was actually me moving from the championship to League One that's made me cross that bridge of wanting to win to having to win because I've got a, a lifestyle or, or bills or outgoings to, to, to cater for. And then when you go into retirement, you can guarantee that the number of footballers who make a sufficient salary outside of football, especially in the first three years, that in any way satisfies the bills that they, they've got going out, you know, when they, when they were playing, is incredibly small. And if your gambling's out of kilter at that transition, the likelihood is it's going to go off the scale because your need to win is so great. Um, when we talk about people coming forward and play, players coming forward. I mean, I think it's, I know it's us, but like mm. players talking about this for me is a huge deal. Like for me, when Cy first approached me on it and when you agreed to take part in it uh, and stay and, and, and Sam, I was blown away by the fact that you, people would be prepared to sit down and talk because I knew it would relate to people and people would hear and want to hear those conversations. It's probably fair to say as well, we could have had probably another five, six, seven guests appearing on the program. Not all felt that it was right for them to talk at the right time. I know that, Sai, for you, this for you is, uh, is you stepping into this space in terms of saying, this is my experience and hopefully other people can come forward. Um, I'm going to ask you about that in a sec, but first for you, Clark, as someone who's been in this space for a number of years now, don't name names or anything like that, but you must have, you must be a, a, a point for which footballers look and go, who can I talk to about the issues that I've faced? Mm. Who's been there before? Who do I know? And I would guess that your name will certainly be in the top three. Top of the list, I think. And I'm not going to ask you enough. Is the your poster boy for down yeah, and out footballer. Yeah. But is, <laughs> just what you want. But is, does the, is the phone ring? Does it, do you get like, is it like a, a text thing, a tweet thing? Like, the, what I, what I, I guess what I hear is, are there, are there players out there who are looking for this support? Constantly and consistently, and you're 100% right because the you know my experiences have been played out so publicly, and I, do, I you know I, I speak about them so freely. What I've often found is that especially players will reach out to me um, before they tell anyone else. You know, because they know that I understand their working environment, and because I have talked about it and done it before. They'll come to me and they'll ask, what should I do? And it's, it's almost as though I have to validate that what they're going through is real. You know, they'll tell me what's going on. I'll be like, mate, don't worry, that is a thing. 
and there is a way out of it. And then I'll signpost them onto whichever support service you know is appropriate, and then they'll go and engage with it. Now, uh, you know, my, <laughs> my wife, she, um, she well, I'm not going to say castigated, but she told me off because when we first got together, I was still in that kind of, you know, the, the zeal of the newly converted. And I thought it was my job to help and save everyone. So my phone was on 24-7. People could call me all hours of the day, and they did. And, and you know, my wife had to, she had to bring it to my attention and say, you know, well, is this your role? Is this what you're supposed to do? And actually, no, it's not. You know, I, I've shared about my experiences and I will help other people, but these, the facilities and that conduit should already be in place in the industry. So that's why I like to, you know, contribute to the great work that you guys are doing because hopefully we can influence and get that to happen. Well, I, I guess the thing I'll, put, I'll, I'll rather than ask you the question, Sai, Clark, can you tell Sai, Sam uh, and Steve, you've obviously been involved in the series so far, what should they say? What, what, what does that conversation sound like and what would you recommend to these guys if they go, Sai, I heard you on Football Untold, let me pull my heart out to you. Mm. Sai's going to think, all right, it's happening, where do we go? Uh, what, what I always uh, do when people share their experiences with me, I'll, I'll find the point that, that I have experienced uh, and I'll say to them, oh, you know, I experienced that, I did that and it was a problem for me. But how is that for you? Because I don't want to judge someone. I don't want to put my perspective and parameters on them. But what's most important to me is I don't like to talk about the action. I like to talk to them about their emotional responses. How, you know, how did you feel in that? What's stopping you from telling someone else? Because right at the core, especially of gambling and seeking help about it, the, the reasons why people don't are because of the feelings of shame and embarrassment and guilt, you know, and, and because they don't want to feel those feelings, because they feel they're going to be judged in that way, that's what's stopping them from reaching out. But if they come to me, someone who's unrelated to their daily life, they, they feel like they can divulge and then, and then I'll point them in that, in that right direction. Thanks, Clark. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's right. It's 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 the emotional side. We we've spoke about in most episodes. The, you know, and me and Clark were on a chat earlier off air as such. You can fix the financial situation, but you've got to help in your recovery. And you've got to work on your recovery and have that purpose, which which I talk about doing things like the podcast, going to your GA meetings. So there's a purpose to your recovery, um, and and Colks talks about it as well, saying he he would be completely lost without having that purpose every day of what he's doing. so He was building schools in Sierra Leone, yeah, by the way. That, I mean, talk about purpose. Yeah, and, and, but you need it. You need that purpose, and it helps your recovery, and, and, and that's what it's about. But it's very much about the emotional side. How do you feel? Yeah, how did you feel when this happened? How did your family feel? Um, what got you to this point, etc.? Not just about, well, right, what are we going to do about what you owe somebody? Of course you need to fix. If there's a debt, you can consolidate it and help in that respect. But for me, a big part of it is, is the emotional aspect of it. The word family has been mentioned quite a few times, and I think sometimes when people hear about gambling, particularly footballers, they see an individual and they picture them in their match day kit and so on and so forth. Each of you touched on family, the sort of the guilt that comes around the experience, but then actually how family and your commitment to family has helped you take those steps forward. I'm aware 
so that your family I've got are in the full room family here. So. Haven't I? That's what <laughs> this could be a real moment here. Yeah, it, it's tough because, as Clark said, the shame and the guilt and the embarrassment of all that is tough to go to the family. They're, they're the most directly involved when you'd like to think that's who you'd speak to initially, but you know, there's a guilt to that. Um, but you need a strong family, and, and Sam talks really well, I think, in his. Uh, episode about the need of family and support from from that kind of thing, but it impacts them. And sometimes, as as a problem gambler, as an addict, um, certainly as a footballer, you're very much wrapped up in yourself, and you only see it through your own selfish eyes. That comes maybe from the professional athlete side of it. So um, it's been great to, to to listen to what family have to say, and when you're in a good place recovery-wise, you can listen to you know to their side of things, and you're always open to that. But it, it's difficult initially because you don't want them to know and then it's the shame of that and you know they're, they're the last people you want to hurt I guess family a part of the issue when you're going through it but it must be a huge part of the the benefits Clark when you can sit down with your family and not be thinking what did I say to my wife today about why the car ran out of petrol mm -hmm. or how many more places can I have bank statements in when you're free from those sorts of situations what difference does that make to family life it's utterly incredible because when when you uh, have engaged in, in problem gambling behaviors and it's got to that point where you're suffering the financial and practical consequences of it you go home to your, your family who are um you know trusting of you reliant of you to to provide a b and c and that place that should be your sanctuary is the worst place in the world for you to be because you, you have to lie about A, B and C. You, you spin this web of deceit about why that bill's not being paid, where this is, what, what's going on there. And, and you have to sit there and be an Oscar winning actor. You, you know, you talk about putting the mask on in public with people. Well, just think how good uh, and how deep that mask has to be to convince those people who know you and love you the most that everything's all right. Uh, and when you're doing that, you're doing it to, to hide what the problem is, to avoid the potential emotions, especially uh, of shame and guilt. And that makes you, uh, it makes me, feel like an absolute fraud. I feel like an utter charlatan. I can understand putting on a mask outside the house, even though that's not always healthy. But to do it to those people who you love the most, but for some reason, you know, you're engaging in these behaviours that are undermining, undermining your, you know, your feelings towards them and, and, and your identity about what you want to provide for them. It's one of the most torturous places to be. And then when you actually make that step to do something about it, you're not going to get the plaudits. You're not going to step out to your family and say, oh, look, I've been gambling for this long and I've caused all this sort of problem, but I want to fix it now. Is that all right? No. You know, because you, you, you have betrayed them in one of the deepest and hardest ways possible. And it takes a strong uh, partner. It takes a, 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 an unbelievably loving and supportive family to hear what you're saying, get over the incredible emotions that they're gonna go through. Because don't forget, they're gonna sit there and question every interaction that you've ever had with them. 
you know, because you, you, you've been sat in their midst for this period of time disguising something that's fundamental to, to family life. So if they get over that and then they come to you and offer you the support for you to then make those steps, let me tell you, it's one of the most incredible things that you will ever experience. I've been blessed in, in that my family have supported me and size talks about how blessed he is. Unfortunately, I know that that's not always the case for some people, you know, so it, imagine trying to do the right thing and then you lose the very things that are most, you know, are dearest to you. Um, it, oh, it can be such a difficult place. I don't know where to go with that. I feel no, like no, I'm going to like but... cry, to be honest, mate. You know, I, 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 I can't... I can't talk about how, how amazing that, you know, the love and support of your family is um, and the energy that that gives you when they do, you know, accept your flaws and your vulnerabilities, the energy that that gives you to want to not redeem yourself, but to repay that to them and be the father and the husband and the provider that you've always wanted to be. Absolutely. Great answer. Um, I think it's worth saying as well, you know, that the, the messages of, uh, that people hear in the sponsorship around the podcast as well, when the mask is ready to come off or when the mask sl slips off against your will, it's important to have obviously the family and the support around you, but then those other outside sources, whoever they may be, um, providing that right network for you. And it might be, you know, a counsellor, it might be a conversation that leads to a different service, but I think having those opportunities and finding the right pathway for you and exploring those different pathways, mm -hmm. I think is really, really huge so that you can get those benefits and you can then live in that moment where you don't have to worry about the mask and you can live and sit and watch TV with your family without having to second guess yourself. It's an amazing place to get yeah. to, isn't it? So yeah, it's the best feeling ever. Uh, Clark's said it a lot more eloquently than me with the family, but once they support you and accept you and, and see some of your recovery and you're working at it, it's, it's the most amazing feeling ever. And, you know, it's nice to give them back the best version of yourself because for a long time you're not. Um, and, and that is such a powerful thing. And that's why we're doing what we're doing. We, we want to help other people, you know, feel the same and get the help they need. Yeah, people will be hearing those messages uh, throughout the podcast series as well. Uh, we've got a couple of minutes. We, I think we do have an extra microphone. Have anyone got any questions from the audience? I didn't tell you we were going to do this. Ooh. <laughs> uh, anyone want to ask a question? We've got a question coming up. Let's, let's get a microphone across the auditorium. My kids are going to ask what's for tea, I think, <laughs> <laughs> after this. <laughs> kind of our antenna. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just want to ask both the lads. Um, in regards to what you spoke about in terms of support networks that there are for footballers and Clark you said that others have come to you from the players have come to you obviously you're not going to name them but that to me seems like there aren't many other ways in which players who are really feeling so low about gambling have other places to go to like the PFA places like that what's your experience of treating with those in, in the years that you've you've witnessed this with the football support services. Yeah. Um, it, it's a double-edged sword because they, they are there, but they're reactionary. The, the PFA don't have any kind of remit to be able to go into a football club and talk to players and see if anyone's having an issue. So what happens in a football club is they're, they're all individual silos. If there's something wrong with a player, then the, there's, there are layers around him to stop them seeking external support 
because clubs are so private. They want to keep all their business inside. And that player goes from the, uh, that, those layers go from the individual to then their agent and then maybe their family and then the club manager and then the board. Uh, and, and it, you know, there are so many barriers to get through before you can um, connect with the services that you need. My experience is different because my, my um, let's say, moments of crisis played out so publicly. There was no avoidance, you know, on anyone's behalf that something was happening in my life. So, and because it was so public, it was almost like football react, responded in, on its best behaviour. We're going to do everything for you because now everyone knows what's going on. So they were good interactions for me. But if you have an individual who's experiencing problems in a football club now, they're not going to tell their coach or their manager. Um, because there's a fear that they won't get selected on a Saturday. You know, we've seen how cutthroat football is. Managers are getting sacked after three games, three months, etc. So if I say, Gaffer, I think I've got an issue with gambling, he's going to think that I'm no longer reliable. So he's not going to pick me on a Saturday when his job's on the line. So then at the end of that season, when my contract's up, because I'm not being picked, other clubs are going to say, why is this guy not being picked? You know, uh, uh, and they're not going to want to uh, employ me because of the potential liability that I offer to their football club. So players have to access services off their own back. And that has to be secretive again. So, you know, in, in an attempt to reach out, they're having to be even more secretive. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's, it's really such a double-edged sword within the industry. What they need to do more is have people within the club who are there solely for mental health and well-being who are part of an independent network. Nothing to do with the coaching staff, nothing to do with the football club itself but a central independent support network that's in there every day that has the opportunity to watch and understand players and, and, and observe changes in their behaviour or seeing them engaging with this, that and the other. But also they educate them on a weekly and monthly basis so that interactions with that person, they're not seen as something negative. Do you ever see this happening, the way in which football is? We've spoken about what's going on with the Premier League and mm. various sponsors across the Premier League that in itself makes it an even bigger barrier to cross for the way in which people treat problems within gambling. If, if that happens whilst there's a sponsor there, they're going to be more reluctant to go up and say, I have an issue. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's, that's probably yeah. true, you know. Yeah. And if we're, we're taking it to the levels and layers that are so way beyond the individual. Um, we're getting into the, the business case for it, aren't we? Mm. You know, and clubs start to look at themselves as a business because they are. Again, we talk about football as though it's one thing. Football is 92 individual businesses. And just because there's a good thing going on down the road at Everton, it doesn't mean that the exact same thing is going on down the road at Liverpool. But in that, there's good things going on at Everton, 30 players there, let's say, 10 of them won't be there at the end of this season. They'll have gone on to a different employer and whatever that good thing was that they had, they're no longer going to have it. The young players who might be getting good support there, they're going to get farmed out on loan to Yeovil Town or to Knox County, 250 miles away from home, no longer with a support mechanism. But that's when they need it the most. 
you know so we've got to we expect football clubs to do things and they need to do more but we need an industry-wide uniform application so that we know everyone's getting the same education no one slips through the cracks whether they're at a club or z club what's up for one more question given all that um which is obviously really powerful and really useful how do you then cope with the fact that a televised match goes to an ad break and the first thing you see is the people who are broadcasting the match advertising their own betting company no names mentioned <laughs> again it's the multi-nuanced consequence of what we're dealing with and the different layers of it look let's not get it twisted in Britain we have a society that that is inextricably linked with gambling well, let's say the Prime Minister resigns tomorrow. Well, the first thing we'll see in the news are the odds on the next Prime Minister. We'll never get beyond October before we see the odds for the Christmas number one or a white Christmas. We're being encouraged to bet on the weather on Christmas Day. It's inextricably linked with it with our society. So when we talk about this at a corporate level and these businesses that are able to put themselves out there, then who are we talking about where that we need to impress and address to change that it's not the football club that's a media thing and if it's a media issue then we're talking the, that it's a it's a government thing you've always got to we've always got to look at who is accountable for what action when we're talking about what goes on with us as players in football clubs we have sole responsibility but the support mechanisms should be provided by our football club because we are employees and they're our employers. When, it, when we're talking about gambling sponsorship being visible on the shirt, that's about the football club as a business entity. So who sets those guidelines? Well, it's the Premier League as the stakeholder above them. Well, the Premier League or the stakeholder, they're taking on gambling uh, sponsors. So who do they have to answer to? Well, currently, no one. And that's why an independent regulator is necessary, because we need an overarching body that governs the actions of what goes on in our football stakeholders. Once they set the parameters of acceptability, that has to filter down in the actions and behaviours of all those in between. But let's not get it twisted. We hold football to a different set of standards than we do our general society. Uh, and we expect more of them because it's so influential, because it's so popular. But this gambling issue is a British problem. It's engaged, you know, it's entwined in everything that we do. So unless we start to address it as a society, then it's not going to change on an individual level. Thanks for your questions. Thanks to the guys. Simon Howard, so I couldn't have done it without you, pal. Cheers, so mate. Thanks. involved in football and told you come back for series two. Yeah, and three and four and five. Uh, there we go. <laughs> Clark, Carla, absolute pleasure as ever. We'll see you again very uh, it's soon. It's a Thanks privilege, a privilege to well. work with you guys. Uh, footballuntold.co.uk. You'll hear the signposting around the podcast as well. We will urge that if you have related to anything that you've heard, any of those conversations, maybe you think that's me or I might be a loved one, uh, those signposts are there and those services are there. We really would urge people to reach out uh, and get support. Uh, thank you so much for everyone who's downloaded and streamed uh, this series of the podcast so far. We do hope to be back uh, very soon. There's plenty more untold issues within the world of football, and we'll tell them all here on Football Untold. Thank you. Thank you.
This podcast is sponsored by NHS Lancashire and South Cumbria Integrated Care Board and Beacon Counselling Trust, promoting an open discussion about gambling-related harm and the destruction it can cause. If you've been affected by anything you've heard and would like to reach out, visit beaconcounselingtrust.co.uk. Let's keep talking.